You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. Years ago, um, I had the, the privilege to go with uh, my dad and my grandfather and a friend and my brother and uh, my great uncle to go up to Canada uh, to go fishing. Now, my, uh, my grandparents uh, and his brother, uh, they, they built this cabin like back in the 70s. And so um, they, they moved it out into the middle of this lake and they turned it into this fishing lodge. And so um, I've been, they've been inviting me for years, but it's like it's a week long fishing trip. And so finally, um, I, I had the availability and made the time. And so I went up there with them to this because I've heard, I heard legends about this place like my whole childhood. Uh, my parents had been there before, but I had never been. And so I, I made the trip up and we, we drove 18 hours uh, up through Maryland to pick up some people, then New York, um, and then up into Canada. Um, and finally, the only way to get to this cabin that's on the middle of this tiny lake is by seaplane. So you, you stop off in this, this town and you get on board of this little, uh, it's a, called a beaver, but basically it, you take off and you fly for 20, 30 minutes and they land on this lake, they drop you off and it says, see you in a week. And that's, there's, there's no roads, uh, there's no civilization, there's no light. And I remember uh, getting up in the middle of the night to go look at the stars um, and it was absolutely beautiful because there, there's zero light pollution around. Um, everything that you need for that week, you bring it with you. If you forgot it, guess what? You forgot it. <laughs> like you don't have it. They, they did have a, uh, an antenna that could connect via some kind of like phone that you could just call people and says, hey, we're alive. Uh, and that costs you like $4, you know, and then you, you hang up. Uh, there's no collect calls. But, but I remember being out there and I'm like watching the plane take off. And I'm like, that's it. Like we're out here in the wilderness by ourselves. Like if, if something happens, if somebody does something and gets injured, like maybe you can radio for somebody to, to arrange a flight to come and pick you up. But I remember that isolated feeling in the middle of the night, I got up with my brother to look at the stars and it was just pitch black. Like other than the, the, the light from the stars, there, there was nothing. Like they even say when, when the moon's not out and there's, there's no stars, you, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And now we willingly chose to be in this, and so there's, there's comfort in that, but I would imagine that many people in life get to a point, get to a season where you kind of feel like that, where you feel isolated, alone, stuck, in the middle of the darkness, wondering, God, where are you? We, we, we go through seasons where we, we may feel like God is not speaking, that God is silent, that maybe that, that God has abandoned us, that we, we feel completely dropped off in the middle of somewhere and, and no end in sight. And in this series, A Weary World Rejoices, I was thinking about, is that what, what makes people weary? Is it, is it too much on their plate? Not like Thanksgiving, we just experienced that, but like too many obligations. Is it we're too busy? Is it, is it stress? Is it pain? Is it brokenness? Like, what is it that makes people the weariness, the, the weariest? There we go. I can say it. 
But I really, it's, it's no, like, just one thing, but I think what makes people weary is a lack of hope. Because if you, if you really, like, boil it all down, it, it's not pace that makes us weary, but it's the hopelessness that the pace will never change. It's not going through painful experiences and seasons. It's the hopelessness that it will never heal. It's not wrestling through doubt or, or, or through just different difficult situations in life. It's the hopelessness that sets in after a period of time. It's, it's that idea of, of hopelessness being isolated alone. But biblical hope is not just a, uh, a well wishes or like... Um, expecting something good to happen or just hoping that something happens, a desire for something good to happen. But biblical hope is a confident expectation and a desire for something good to happen. There, there's a big distance. It's not just, hey, I hope that this is going to happen. Like um, a lot of people yesterday went through this whole thing. They, they hoped that Clemson would win, um, but it didn't happen. Okay. I had to, I had to. Okay. Um, but like, it's not just, I, I hope that, that this is going to turn out. But biblical hope is tied to a confident expectation that it will happen. And there's a big difference. It's not just like hoping on the stars. It is a confident expectation that's tied to who the Lord is. Our verse for this series in Isaiah 9, you've probably heard this before. Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the, Lord's, uh, of, the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. But even, even though we, we have these promises, even though scripture is filled with promises, there was, a, there was a time in the history of God's people where they felt stuck, where they felt alone, where they felt hopeless. It's this period in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we call the intertestamental, intertestamental period, where there was 400 years of silence. So like, in our Bible, it turns over just in one page, but there's 400 years that take place that there was no prophet of God. There's, there's no account of, of God speaking. There was, there was just 400 years of, of, of nothing. They had heard about the, the promises of God. They, they've, we, they've known about all of this, and all of a sudden, it's just like, God, where are you? God, we were, we were trying to be obedient. Yeah, we, we've, we've had our stuff. We had our history. But now, like, what do you do with that? What do you do in this, in this, in this moment, this, this, this spot that we can get in that we feel like God is silent? And here's the basis for the message today. If you're taking notes, is that perfect faith is not faith that moves God. It's faith that moves us to trust God even when he appears to not be moving. It's, it's not, yes, we, we should have faith. James says, hey, don't, don't waver around like a, like, a, like a wave 
but, but to have faith and to expect. But perfect faith is not just believing enough or having enough faith. It's actually faith that trusts God enough when it appears that God isn't moving. That in the silence that we actually have hope. That in the silence, that in the middle of it, even when God appears to be silent, we know that he's the author and he cannot leave the story. I want to show you a picture real quick. Um, I, I stumbled across this a couple of weeks ago, but this is, a, uh, this is not all the excuses from the game yesterday. Um, all right, I'm done. I promise. All right, this is, we waited seven years for this one, okay? No. Um, so this is a, is a picture of all of the cross-references in the entire Bible. Across the bottom, uh, those little lines, um, those are the books of the Bible. You can see Psalm 119 there in the middle, um, holding it down, the longest chapter in all of Scripture. Uh, but every one of those arcs is a different mention of a different book or a different account in Scripture. It's all of the cross-references and where they land. So you can see that the Bible is not just like, one, like one initial thing, like it is a woven together story that God has written of humanity. And it, it's, it doesn't just take place in a linear line, but there's, there's prophetic things talking about here and there's a fulfillment of those things taking pl place here. You couldn't make this up. Like the, the fact that the Bible even exists is absolutely insane. We, we talked about this a uh, couple of months back, but to think that 40 authors in 10 different countries, 20, spanning 20 occupations over a period of 1,500 years, three languages, 3,000 characters, 1,550 different places in Scripture, uh, 31,000 verses, all with the same message. Like historically proven, billions and billions of copies of Scripture. And if we can't go into this today, but another shameless plug. Uh, we have a, um, an apologetics class uh, that our uh, teaching pastor in Simpsonville and our discipleship pastor in Simpsonville started doing. Um, and if you missed it, that's awesome. You can sign up online and there's a podcast of it that you can listen to, but you have to sign up to get a link to the podcast. The very first episode of that, he does a deep dive into the, uh, the backgrounds of scripture and the Bible that we know. And so anyway, shameless plug, but check that out. Um, but from, think about this, the entire story of the Bible, if you had to sum it up in one word, I, I know that some people would say love or salvation or, or Jesus, but I, I would make a strong argument that the, the message of the Bible is hope. Like, think about it, like Genesis three, right? In, in the beginning, back at the very onset of the fall, before God addresses Adam and Eve for their disobedience, who does he first address? The serpent. And the moment that humanity fell, God spoke hope and said, hey, one day out of the seed of the woman, your head is going to be crushed, Satan. So from the very beginning of, of hopelessness, God spoke hope. And, and throughout the entire Bible, we have this pointing hope. We have this hope now of the assurance of heaven and of eternity reunited to the Father. But even before Jesus, there's this pointing forward of hope. Hey, hope is coming. There, there is hope. The Messiah is coming. And so even in the silence, 
we can see that although it may be deafening, that there is hope. And what I love is, is how beautifully God's story unfolds. In fact, uh, if you look in Malachi, the, the very end of the Old Testament, Malachi 4 says this, through the prophet Malachi, says, look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I would come and strike the land with a curse, and then it just ends, and then nothing for 400 years, right? It's, it's like, hey, there's, there's this promise that, that God's saying, I'm going to send the prophet. He's going to do all of these incredible things, and then just crickets. And they're like, it's like the last episode of a season of a show you're watching. It's like this cliffhanger, like, what's going to happen next? And you, you have to wait months, I know, uh, for, for it to come out. But like, what, what's going to keep waiting, and they keep waiting. And, and during this time, the people of God, there were six different kingdoms that came and took authority over them. The rise and fall of six different empires that, that overtook the people of God. And with the next one, they probably thought, well, this is it. This is going to be the, the moment. And then no. And this is going to be the moment. And no. But yet, we get to hold on to hope. And I love how then you turn a couple pages, and Matthew starts with genealogies, but if you look at Luke's gospel, the very beginning of Luke's gospel, we're going to spend a lot of time reading this. I know it's a lot of scripture. I'm going to summarize some of it. Uh, but to see how God wove the tapestry together of this storyline of hope, how the Old Testament ends with this promise of what's going to happen, and then we pick up Luke's account in verse 5. It says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, Abijah sorry, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They even had hope. They still were righteous. They still followed the Lord. Even for 400 years of silence, they still honored and trusted the Lord. Verse 7, they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, only Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. And as was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense, incense altar, altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayers. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice in his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. Some of y'all grew up in church, but not like that, right? And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, and he will be a man, here it is, with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those that were rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. 
And here's Zechariah, he's serving the temple and an angel of the Lord appears and says, hey, for 400 years, this promise has not, sent, has not sat void, but God was just weaving it together. And he says, hey, you're gonna have a son and the, the promise that God made, every time that God makes a promise, you know what? He is faithful to fulfill it because we have a promise-making and promise-keeping God. Thousands and thousands and thousands of prophetic words have come to pass and some yet to come. Verse 19, Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. Even though his wife wasn't around, he was still polite. He's not like, hey, she's really old too. He's like, she's well along in years. Um, good man. Verse 19, but he doubted. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So he, he comes out of the temple and he can't speak. And they're like, what's going on? Why were you in there so long? And he, he couldn't speak. And they realized that he must have seen a vision. And so uh, he, he goes and, and years, I mean, not years later, that would have been a long pregnancy. Uh, after after the, the whole pregnancy, she, she gives birth. And after she gives birth, he still can't speak. And they ask Elizabeth, what should you name? What are you going to name the child? And she says, I'm going to name him John. They're like, why would you do that? No one in your whole family is named John. And then they motion to Zechariah and he, he asks for a writing tablet and he writes down, he says, his name shall be John. And then his mouth is open and the first thing he begins to do is to worship and praise God. At this fulfillment of the promise of this fulfillment of what God was going to do. And John the Baptist grows up and he's the prophet who prepares a way to, to tell of the coming Messiah that, hey, hope is coming, that, that this whole story is, is, hey, it seems like it was hopeless, but this pointing of hope hasn't given up. God hasn't left your story, but hope isn't just coming. Hope is here. It's now the silence is over. So how, how do we, what do we, what do we do with that, right? What do, what do we do with that now? One, we're thankful that we, we don't live in the, the 400 years, that we have the promise of Jesus, right? But what do, we, what do we do that if we feel like our life is in that season? Right, because it, if I asked you to, to hold something heavy, you, you would do it for a little bit, you'd probably stop. But if I gave you a timetable to it, right? If I said, can you hold this for a certain amount of time? Or, or hey, could you endure this, this pain for, for this amount of time? If we had a timestamp to it, we could do it, right? Because we have hope. So, so how does this promise of, of, of Jesus being our wonderful counselor, how does that, how does that give us hope? How does that that allow us to not be weary, to allow us to rejoice even in the dark moments, even in the isolated moments. How does the promise of our wonderful counselor give us hope? Well, what I love is, is this story and this, this thread continues through scripture of this wonderful counselor. And then uh, Jesus says this in John 14, says, if you love me, 
obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Then jump down again in verse 23. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come to make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I have told you. So in this, we, we see it continual. We, we talked about the Holy Spirit uh, months ago, but, but how do, very, very practical, very basic. Like if, if you haven't been in a season in your life where you, you feel like that God just isn't speaking, where, where you feel like things just feel hopeless, um, the promise that God is with us, that God gives us his Holy Spirit. Here's three quick reminders. One is that he will never leave me. That, that's not like a, a, a good saying. That's not just something that you find on a sign at Hobby Lobby, okay? Because that's where all good things and, and words just go to, to live on some shiplap thing that you hang in your house, right? <laughs> live, love, laugh. You know, like uh, it's, but he will never leave us. Like he said it himself. Jesus says, the advocate who will never leave you. Like the, the fact that we, th we see in scripture in Ephesians 1, it says that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit as a promise of our salvation, as a guarantee. Like everything says it's guaranteed now, right? But then when you read the fine print, you're like, oh, except if it's a Tuesday or if it, you know, rained in the last year and a half and then it's null and void. But, but this word guarantee in the New Testament is, is used only in relation, the, the four times it's used is only in relation to the Holy Spirit. That idea of it being guaranteed, meaning that our salvation is secured, that it's sealed, that if you have professed that Jesus is Lord, you believe who he was, that he was the son of God who lived a perfect life, who, who willingly gave up his life and was murdered on the cross and on the third day rose again with the keys to death, hell, and the grave, that anyone who believes in him shall inherit everlasting life. If, if you believe that, then you have received the Holy Spirit, that your salvation is guaranteed meaning you can't mess it up, right? You continue following, we work out our salvation, but like, aren't you glad that your salvation isn't based on your works or what you can do? I, I don't even remember what I ate for dinner yesterday. If I had to remember certain things in order to guarantee my eternity, I'm lost. But if we profess and we put our faith and our trust in him that it is guaranteed and the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, the advocate, our, our counselor, our wonderful counselor with us, he will never leave us. You know what that does? That gives us hope. Because if he won't leave us, that means in the moment when it feels silent, guess what? God is with us. In the moment when, when all we see is darkness all around us, God is with us. In the moment in the valley, in the moment on the mountaintop, that if he is
hire someone to be an advocate for you, to be a counselor, to guide you. Uh, I mean, you're not an expert in the law unless you're a lawyer, but you know, most of us are not. And so you, you want someone who, who knows everything to, to be your advocate, to go before you, to advocate on your behalf and to lead you in what to do. That he leads us in truth. Like the Holy Spirit is, is full of promises to help us to testify about Jesus uh, convicts us of sin. Conviction is a gift from God. We know that, right? The Holy Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit leads us in all truth to pray when we don't even know what to pray. But the Holy Spirit leads us. It's not just this like thing that we receive. It is the person of God. It is the presence of God, the, this, this trinity, the, the same God that is being worshiped 24-7 in heaven, we, we just sang about that, dwells within you and I. The presence of God doesn't live in a temple. It doesn't live in a church. It doesn't live in the tabernacle. It's not on certain people. That if you put your faith in Jesus, that the presence of God, he chose you as his home. Like that, that blows my mind. He says that he would come and dwell in us and, and, and choose us to be his home. Holy Spirit gives us strength to fight against sin. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. He helps us to bear witness, meaning you're not just passively here, but hope says that he is the one leading us. And lastly, is that he doesn't just give me hope, he is my hope. As we grow and mature, it's kind of like this. It's a really bad analogy, so bear with me. But it's like uh, when you're a kid, uh, your, your parents, or especially your grandparents, like when my grandparents came into town, they had a motorhome. And uh, it, was always, it was always around Christmas time or the holidays they would come. They would stay for like weeks with us. But uh, they would always like tell stories and bring games and gifts and like had hammocks that we had set up in the yard. And it was always this like I couldn't wait for them to come because you know, they would bring all of this stuff. Um, and so while I loved my grandparents, as I was a younger child, I always loved what they brought. But as I, as I grew and as I matured, I learned to love more than just what they brought or could offer me. I learned to love more who they were. And as that relationship developed, as we matured in the beginning one, we come to God with nothing but our sin. But sometimes we, we in the beginning of our faith, we're, we're very tied to what God can do for us. That our, our hope is found in how God can fix the mess that we just made. Or God can, can heal the wounds. Or God can, can do these things. But as we grow and mature and as we see God's faithfulness played out in our lives. And as we, we walk through God in the darkness and in the light. As we go through this life of daily working out our salvation. We realize that yeah, he, he does give us hope. But we fall more and more in love with who he is. That we realize that he is our hope. There, there's this maturing that takes place that it that you know what, we get to a point of contentment and of who he is and what he's already done for us, that you know what, even if God, even if this silence continues, that he's enough for me. He's already done enough for me. 
that, yeah, I, I have hope that God can work this out. But more than that, he is my hope. That we get to spend an eternity with him. And I love this. This isn't in your notes, but um, after John the Baptist was born, and his dad, Zechariah, he, he began to prophesy. And we see this in Luke verse 76. Over his son, he says, and you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide us into the path of peace. And as he's prophesying over his son, he's saying, my little son, John, you, you have the privilege and the honor to begin to tell people that, hey, light has come into the world. And Jesus is coming not just to bring light, but to bring hope and to bring salvation and to bring the realization that God is still speaking, that God is still moving. So whether you're mountaintop people or valley people today, whether, whether there's light all around or you're out, you feel like you're in the wilderness where, where you can't even see your hand in front of your face. May I point you to the message of hope. There's never been a moment in here when God says, you know what, it's all hopeless. God is the author of this. God is the author of hope. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is what gives us hope and the promise now and tomorrow. So, so wherever you're at, my encouragement is that as we go through this, as we realize that the reason that a weary world can rejoice because hope is here and that hope is found in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you God, we thank you that the hope that we have is not found in what we can amount and what we can do, but it is found in you. And Lord, if you can use a talking donkey, God, if you can use a defiant giant, God, if you can use story after story after story throughout the entire Bible, throughout all of our lives to bring glory to you. And God, I pray that you would remind us in the middle of wherever we are that hope is not lost. That by placing our, our trust and our assurance in you that, that we have hope. Hope for salvation, but even hope in this now, Lord. Hope that the Holy Spirit will never leave us. That you will continue to guide us in all wisdom. Hope the promise that you can and will use all things for your good, for your glory, for those that love you. 
So God, I pray that we would anchor ourselves not to just theories or ideas, but we would anchor them to things that are eternal, that are not swayed by what happens or governments that rise and fall. But our hope would be anchored in you. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. And Lord, help us to be bearers of that hope into the world around us. And we ask all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.